Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 115. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore on Twitter, filling in for my normal co-host, John White, at VJourneyman. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. I don't know about you, but I like to play Nerd Journey Bingo. So this will be the first interview I have done all by myself. As I mentioned before, John's on a little bit of a sabbatical because he needed to focus on house hunting. If you can tweet me and tell me the only episode in which I was not part of the interview, you might just find some stickers headed to your house on me. This week, our guest is Jeff Eberhard. He's a sales and solution engineering leader at Oracle. And what's really interesting about this conversation with Jeff is if you contrast him with Brad Christian... Jeff got technical at first, but he actually decided that a certain level of technical was okay, and he didn't really need to go past that. So he went into management at a young age and expressed a a desire to lead a team kind of early. I'll let you hear that story for yourself, but I thought it was interesting how he had to learn how to manage people that were a little bit different than he was. And then listen really carefully when I ask him what makes a good manager and how he has career conversations with his team. Because he actually talks to us about what the desire for career progression is across the distribution of the teams that he's managed. So which category do you find yourself in? Here we go with part one of our interview with Jeff Everhart. Jeff Eberhardt, thanks for joining us on the Nerd Journey Podcast. Nick, thank you very much for having me. Excited. Yeah, me too. It's going to be a great discussion. So can you start by telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do today? Sure. So my name is Jeff Eberhardt. I live in Austin, Texas with my wife and my two wonderful children. Um, Grew up in California originally, but moved to Texas for college. And uh, like a lot of people, when you get to Austin, I never left. So, you know... From a, from a career perspective, I guess you could say I got into my career because I did not want to leave Austin. My first job was as a IT admin at a small ticket, um, we'll call it resale company. Uh, it was a little more advanced than the folks that go stand in line and, and uh, you know buy a bunch of tickets to resell. We had an online system that used hundreds of hosts to uh, go visit visit our friend Ticketmaster and purchase tickets on their behalf. And so part of my job was racking and stacking, scripting, um, doing a lot of fun stuff with proxies back in the day and uh, ensuring that we looked like we were coming from different places. That uh, turned out to be a very fun job, but I thought it might be a little more interesting long-term to be in, a, in an industry where I might have a longer, <laughs> longer path. And so um, being in Austin, Dell Computers, obviously, large employer here, big, big company for technology, I, I ended up getting a job there um, selling, selling mice and, and mouse pads and extra monitors. And, you know, so if you bought a computer, I would be the person who called you a few days later and said, Nick, did you forget anything? And, um, you know, while that was fun, I was looking at my peers in the enterprise sales group who were selling servers and storage and network. I was, I was like, I don't know what that is, so I'm going to go learn that. And so, uh, you know, I knew obviously a little bit from my first job, but went and started studying for that, became what they called a technical sales rep, which was effectively just a salesperson, but for the server storage and networking stuff. And uh, did that for six or seven years, got a role over at Hewlett Packard selling storage, um, in the meantime, I also moved over to Ireland for a little bit with Dell. Uh, so I got to sell servers and storage to the UK and Ireland, which was really kind of fun. And then um, after HP, I got my dream job uh, at VMware. 
and I had applied at VMware about seven times while I was a TSR and solutions consultant at Dell, and uh, I was never smart enough, I guess, was generally the, the feedback, like, hey, Jeff, that's really cool that you want to come over, and I was trying to come over as a sales rep, never mind a solution engineer or anything like that, and finally on my seventh try, it was my lucky try, and uh, ended up getting a role within the SE organization. By that point, I, I must have learned enough about VMware to, to have them take me seriously. And when we say SE, we mean solution engineer. Solution engineer, yeah. So basically a, a, a person who talks to the folks in technology and explains what VMware technologies do, um, doing demos and whiteboards and architecture. And then, you know, I did that for about a year before I got the opportunity to move into leadership at VMware. At that point, took over a, or I guess started a team to support the small and medium business uh, organization within VMware. And that grew uh, over the next nine years. I've supported uh, the larger commercial business, uh, parts of our enterprise group, public sector, and then I moved into the cloud. Uh, so VMware has a cloud offering in partnership with AWS. And, you know, you can see technology industry-wise, a lot of people are moving to the cloud. And I said, okay, I kind of want to try that out. And that was an awesome opportunity, uh, especially getting to work with my, my peers over at Amazon and understanding how one big company can work with another big company and all the, the good and the bad that can come with that. Lucky enough for me, that translated into a new role, the job that I have today. Um, I'm working at Oracle on Oracle's VMware Cloud. So I lead the uh, sales and solution engineering organizations for Oracle's cloud offering. And I've been doing that now for about eight months. So that's a somewhat abbreviated history of my life. Yeah, that's good. So I want to go back to the beginning. Sure. What made you go from hands-on technology into full-on tech sales? Why, why you do that to um, yourself? You know, honestly, it was the, the hours and the money. So I, I had a very interesting schedule uh, because a lot of, uh, they were called on sales. And on sales would start, depending on the time zone, at 6 to 8 a.m. And we had to ensure that the servers and everything were working for those on sales. And so I was basically doing night shift for $12 an hour uh, as, as a technologist. And I said, you know, it, it was fun, honestly. You know, you're in your early 20s. It really isn't too big of a deal because you get off work and go have fun with your friends. But it was getting to be a bit much. And I had a couple of friends who had started at Dell and they were making $14 an hour. And, I, and, and they got to work day shift. So I'm like, whoa, I can work during the day and make $2 more an hour, this is this is an opportunity. That's what honestly caused me to make the shift. You know, I, I loved the technology portion of it. I was actually becoming a fairly good scripter. Like I, I was getting smart. Um, but you know, when you're 21 and want money, you go where it is. Now, did you, did you have any hesitation about stepping away from the keyboard? You know, not being as hands-on. It's not to say you couldn't do some hands-on work, but it wouldn't be exactly the same as fielding tickets for end users at your company. Right. Um, you know, no, I think there wasn't a whole lot of hesitation there. I've, I've always enjoyed technology. I have a passion for it. Um, you know, you, you look at the things that I read and everything that I do, and it all tends to be around technology. Uh, but I am not generally the person who will sit in a lab for eight hours trying to break something and rebuild it and break it and rebuild it. Um, for me, it's more about understand what the technology does and what's cool about it, and then I'm more than happy to move on. That's funny enough, likely, why moving into leadership ended up working out well for me, because especially from a solution engineering leadership perspective, I have to know enough that if I go into a meeting with someone that works for me, the customer doesn't go, oh, no, there's the suit sitting in the corner. Like, we don't want to talk to him. He doesn't know what he's doing. But at the same time, I'm not going to have nearly as much fun as a lot of our peers do, uh, you know, going into a lab and rewriting everything and doing that. And so for me, it was honestly fairly, it was a good move because I got to go for what I was passionate about, which is talking about technology and understanding it at, you know, a 200 level rather than having to go 
super deep. The going into management, had you done any mentoring of team members or what what made that interesting as opposed to what you were doing before that just in in the solution type sales roles? Yeah. Uh, how do you how do you say this without sounding full of yourself? I was on a very strong team, right? And any any of my old teammates who who are with me can they're all staff SEs and higher at this point across the industry. But I looked at them from a sales perspective because I've been in sales for the previous 10 years uh, as opposed to solution engineering, right? So solution engineering was kind of a new thing for me. I was technically a solutions consultant, but at Dell, that really meant more of a really smart technical salesperson rather than a really technical, technical person. And so when I came over to VMware, and I got that role, the team that I was on was a hundred times more intelligent and more technical than I ever was. But I was having a lot of success very early because I was taking on that more salesy portion of the role. You know, and when a call started, I was understanding what was going on with the customer, went through the technology, and then I closed the deal at the end rather than, you know, relying on my salesperson to do it, because frankly, that was my nature because I had been doing that for years. And so I saw, you know, as we, as we looked at the rankings, you know, there's always rankings whenever you're in a company, I shot to the top pretty quickly, even though the people around me were definitely more technical, you know, on, a, on any question, they would beat me, but I was having a little bit more success. And so when this new team was being started, I actually went to my boss and I said, Hey, I'd, I'd like to have an opportunity to lead this team so that I can, you know, kind of help these people achieve a little bit more with the knowledge that they have. And he said, well, um, no, you know, you're, you're nine months in, uh, you know, these people have been here at VMware for five to 10 years at this point, it, like they're not going to take you seriously. And I said, okay, you know, that's a, that's a fair comment. And I went home and I called my peers on the team and I said, Hey, how would you feel if I was your boss, you know, in, in a month? And the resounding answer was, yeah, that'd be cool. I like that. That's a good idea. You can teach me this. I see that you're having success here. And so for me, it was like, well, if I can take some of what I'm doing, help improve them, and now have the opportunity to learn, not just from peers, but have people teaching me because they don't want me to just be that suit in the corner who doesn't know anything. You know, they need me to look good. Um, I might be able to have a little bit more success. And so I went back to my boss and said, actually, I, I really do want to go for this. And I I have the team's support that I'll be leading, you know, and went through the process and I was lucky enough to get that job. So, you know, I started, I started in April and I got promoted to manager in January. It was a very quick move. And I think it was because the, the team that I was working with realized that I could help build them up a bit. And I knew they could help me, you know, build me up because when it came head to head, I was never going to beat them in technology. So it was like, well, you know, the, the Peter principle, I got to get, I got to move up a little bit more so I can fail at that level before I fail a little bit lower. That's, that's how that happened. So you basically told your boss that you wanted to take his job. I, ideally, that would have been the end result. Um, funny enough, he retired uh, just a couple of months ago and I had already left VMware for my role at Oracle. So I never, never got the opportunity to take his job. So that's maybe that's a small regret over time. Yeah, I have to imagine is it has to be a mixed feeling when one of your, I'm not a manager, right? But when one of your direct reports comes to you and says, yeah, I want to do your job. And I think I can do it really great. Does that give some kind of threatening feeling to the person in that role? Should should someone else maybe having that same desire, Jeff, would you caution them on doing the same thing? Or what, what would your advice be there? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't caution them. I mean, I guess it, it always depends who's your leader, right? If you have a leader that's going to be threatened by that, maybe figure out a better way to do it. But any good leader, so if you're working for someone that you admire and want to be like, I've had many of the folks on my team tell me that over the years, and my goal is to get them into those types of positions. Um, if you have someone that you know has the drive and the interest to move into leadership, frankly, it makes your job easier because what can you do? You could say, great, you want to do this? Here's a few tasks that I don't like doing that you would have to do in a leadership position. Take them on. Tell me what you think about it. You know, how, how, how is that going to help you? Well, as, as the person interested in the job, you, you know, your boss is going to give you the things that they don't like. And if you still like those things, 
man, this might be actually a role for you. But back to your initial question, I, I would never hesitate to do it. Now, maybe I was a little dumb and young. You know, I was, uh, what was I, 20, 28? So I'm like, oh, I'm 28. I'm awesome. I can go do this. And, you know, that might not work every time. But also, you know, in, in your career, if you don't take chances and ask for things, you're not going to get the things that you want. And I'd much rather ask and be told, nah, that's never going to happen. And then come back and say, no, I really want it and get another, nah, that's never going to happen and give up on myself and never achieve it. That's a really good story about how you went and talked to the team and kind of politely proved the boss wrong that you could do it. And, and, you know, honestly, it was not an immediate success thing as, as anything is. Um, you know, it, you, you look at my point in my career where the peers were that I ended up leading. Like I said, most of them had been at VMware for half a decade or a decade and had been in their careers. You know, one of one of the people that ended up working for me was about 40 years older than me. And, you know, there's... I'm the boss, so you have to do what I say, which can work if you're working with people that are younger or more experienced than you. It does not work quite as well when it's someone that's your dad's age, you know? Um, and, you know, that actually longer term also, I think, helped me career-wise because I was young enough to know I can't just go, hey, I'm the boss, go do this to some of these people that had literally a lifetime more of experience than I had. And so it caused me to have to stop and say, well, how do I impact? How do I influence? How do I lead someone that has been doing this since before I was born? Um, and that's that that can be difficult depending on the people's personalities and your personality. Um, but in the end, if you get the opportunities to try that, you'll learn what works and what doesn't work. And as long as you've started to try and build a good relationship and rapport with those people, they'll tell you when you're being stupid. <laughs> it's, it's going to be a straight up, Jeff, that's a bad idea. You do not want to say that to me. Okay, cool. Let's walk through how we can make this happen then. Do you think there's a, a general hesitation being managed by someone who is younger, just in general? You know, I, I guess I would say in general, I don't think people will have a problem or I haven't had people have a problem with it as long as they thought that I was competent. I have had a few folks work for me that I know day one did not trust me, did not understand me, didn't know me. Um, and so that makes it, makes it hard. You know, you see someone that's 15, 20 years younger than you and now they're your boss. Um, so what I've done in those kind of cases is realize that I'm not going to get immediate success there, but try and build consensus amongst the teammates who are willing to say, oh, okay, yeah, he's my boss. We'll, we'll talk to him. And then use that to have them influence the folks who are like, hey, I, you know, I could be your mom or dad. Um, and that, that has worked because that initial thought process from them is this guy's so much younger than me, can't possibly understand what we're doing, how we're doing it, the things that I know. A lot of the time you don't, you know, you do something for a decade, you don't want to change the way that you're doing it. And someone new and excited comes in and recommend something that you tried five years ago that completely failed, you're going to be like, that failed, we're never doing that. But some of that is on, on the person that's working for you as well to realize, hey, it's been five years. Maybe that failed five years ago. That doesn't mean it's going to fail today. And so it's, it's a bit of a two-way street, but if you can build consensus among the folks that are willing to work with you, eventually I've seen success in having those, those other folks want to work with me and make everything better. A little bit of positive peer pressure there. Ideally, yes. That's a great way to think about it. Now, how does this come out in the hiring process? If you're looking to hire somebody that's older than you, are you able to snuff that out pretty quickly and determine if they're going to be a good fit? I've been lucky in that the hiring that I've done has been at, you know, VMware, Oracle, um, most applicants, most candidates, I think, come in knowing, you know, th these are good companies. Like, they're not easy to get into. They're especially not easy to get into leadership within these kinds of organizations. And so I haven't had anyone during the hiring process be like, who are you, kid? Um, because I, I think they, they realize, like, hey, if he's got this role, he must have something. 
And so actually, I think it makes it a little bit easier from a hiring perspective um, externally that you automatically have that kind of level of gravitas because you're there. Um, where I, I mentioned earlier where I ran into some issues uh, in the past with, with folks that were you know, more experienced than I was, uh, was internal moves. So as you know, at a company, people, you know, suddenly here, you have four people, you know, and if you're one of those people, you're like, suddenly I have a new boss and I don't know why, and I don't know who this person is from, you know, Jack, that's where I ran into them. But from an external hiring process, it's always been pretty smooth. And has, has the shoe ever been on the other foot where you've had to work for someone you perceive might be less experienced? You know, I think, uh, I, I would definitely not say less experienced. I'm pretty sure my boss is my current boss is many years younger than I am. Uh, but experience is not just a function of time, obviously. And, uh, it's funny now I'm here with my gray hair and I'm, I'm, I'm becoming the old man, you know, that I used to look at and be like, Whoa, one day I'll have gray hair and, and be like that again. You know, my, my current boss is I actually have no idea what his age is, but he uh, he has moved up very quickly in the business and he has a business acumen, a business sense. Um, he does his own podcasts on a, on a weekly basis. He does a lot of stuff. So he's like technology oriented, a great presenter. He's got technology background. Um, he can program, he can do this, that, and the other. So he seems to have accomplished a lot more in his time than I did in mine. And that's paying off for him. And I think that's honestly for someone in my position, a good thing to look at, like, whoa, look what he's accomplished. How do I emulate some of that and understand what he's done in that time? So flipping it around, maybe I am becoming the people that I looked at. I'm like, whoa, okay, maybe that, here's why I should do this because look what's going on with him. We should definitely try to learn something from the people that are our leaders. There's, yeah. there's something that they're going to be able to pass on to us, some skill that they can help us build up that we don't have, something that they can help us learn about ourselves. So I think what, what all this really says is you need to have an open mind and don't, don't see it as age, don't see it as you know difference in gender or difference in whatever. Absolutely. So here's my next question, Jeff. In your mind, what do you think makes a good manager? So I'll, I'll tell you what I've liked about managers that I've had uh, over time. And um, one is a, a person who ha is interested in a personal connection. Obviously, the business is, you know, the business you have to you have to focus on that. Um, but as as we all know, um, well, actually, pre COVID, I would spend more hours every day with my coworkers than I did with my own family. And you know, from a boss perspective, um, your boss can have more of an impact on your life than probably anyone other than your significant other, uh, right? And For so sure. if you are going to be working closely with that person and relying on them for your livelihood, uh, honestly, your work happiness, a lot of that depends on your boss and what gets pushed down and around at you. Um, it's important to have that personal relationship. So a good boss will spend the time to get to know who you are, who your family is, what your likes are, what your dislikes are, not just from a work perspective, but from a personal perspective. You know, the holidays come up. I think good bosses should send presents to their people. Why? Because it shows that they at least care. You know, it's, it's little things. Um, remembering birthdays, I think, is super important if, you know, you're willing to share that with your boss. Um, so number one, good boss is a good personal relationship. Uh, number two, from a good boss perspective, is realizing that folks have their own skills and some of their skills may be super useful and other skills need to be worked on to be useful for your for your area. And, you know, they, they tell you in leadership training, it's like, give five huzzas for every no kind of thing. And, I don't really believe in that uh, sort of leadership because that becomes very obvious if you start sandwiching good jobs with you're horrible at this. Um, but if you can help people who are working for you and the bosses that I've had really push the things that I'm good at, I help my folks push the things that they're good at and then occasionally give them the opportunity to improve themselves on the things that they're bad at uh, or not so good at. Um, 
what you'll do is you'll have everyone around them thinking they're rock stars because what they're seeing is the really good stuff that your people can do. And if you can help minimize the things they're not so good at while still you know, improving them at that, long-term from a career perspective, I think that's, that's helpful. And number three, from a, from a boss perspective and what, what makes a, and I think that was the question, right? You know, mm-hmm. lost what makes you. a good okay. manager? Cool. Yep. What makes a good manager? Doing great. Okay. Doing great. Um, is uh, them having a grasp on the business. Um, I have worked for some people that are really good on the people portion, are really good on helping build you up, but are so badly, whatever, tied into the business overall that none of that matters because in the end from a senior leadership perspective they're not necessarily looking at what the frontline employees are doing they think of all of the frontline employees as members of x person's team and so if x person whoever that boss is isn't thought of as competent knowledgeable uh, strong on the business they're going to think the whole team isn't and so if you're the boss, you need to make sure so that your team looks good, that you know what's going on. So when you're on this phone, you know, in our kind of role, if you're on a forecast call or you're on a tech support call where, you know, someone's having a SEV1 outage, you can't just be like, well, I don't know, I'm not there. Let me look up in my notes. As a good boss, you're going to have a lot of that knowledge in your head and be able to push that out so that the people above and around know oh, they're good at their business and they're probably good at it because their team's really good at the business and now everyone's good. That final thing would be a a solid grasp on the business so that you can make not only yourself as a leader look good, but your whole team look good because you have that eye on the business. Right. So there is is some benefit to making the boss look good. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. It makes you look good. For sure. Yeah, how can we help the boss achieve their goals and achieve ours at the same time? Right. In that same light, at previous companies, I hadn't had a lot of career conversations with managers. Uh, I see that a little more frequent, you know, in my current role. How have you approached that with your employees over the years and level of importance and that kind of thing? I think career conversations are an interesting thing. So, you know, a lot of... Uh, a lot of my experience, there are some folks in their career where they are happy where they are. And so if you hit the, you know, as a leader, if you hit an employee that is just, they're, you know, they're a solid A minus player, you know, they're not going over and over and above, but they're doing their job. They're doing it solidly. Um, They show up, they execute, they go home. For them, I think, you know, as, as a leader, when you first join that team or they first join your team, Find out if that's where they are. And if you're one of those folks that's in that part of your career, that should be okay. I mean, I know some companies are always pushing, hey, we got to get our next promotion, our next raise. We got to do this, that, or the other. Otherwise, what's going on? But um, some of the favorite people that I've ever had working for me are the ones that are perfectly content to be exactly where they are. Again, it doesn't mean that they're being lazy. It doesn't mean they're not doing their job, but they don't necessarily want to take on that next new position that's going to require a five-day-a-week travel because they're happy. Or they don't necessarily need or want to raise. You know, frankly, in, in our line of business, people make enough money a lot of the time that they can live happily. So taking on extra stress and other things like that aren't nearly as important as maintaining a, you know, a good work-life balance. Um, that's obviously, a, hopefully, you know, a, we'll call it a third to a quarter of a team should be in that place, your solid players. Another, another quarter of your team are the ones that are high flyers or expecting to be high flyers. You know, they've, they've got uh, high potential. They've got a really great work ethic. Um, with them, what my goal and is always trying to do is put them in positions where they can show off um, the goodness that they bring to the organization. So, you know, one of the, one of the folks on my last team out in, out in San Francisco, like he's, he's just good. You know, <laughs> he's, he's a solid engineer, uh, great background, wonderful with customers, has a big interest in learning new technologies. So for him, the career conversations are more of, Hey, what do you want to go learn next? How do we make you as successful in that as possible so that you, everyone can know you're an expert there and then you can pick the new next thing that you want to do. Um, 
with him, I tried to influence, hey, let's get you into leadership. Like your energy level, what you're doing is going to be awesome. And you can make a bunch of other people like you. But he had no interest in that because unlike me, he wanted to remain technical. You know, so it wasn't how do I help other people? He's like, no, I just want to be better and better and better. Um, so like I said, for, for folks like him, you just help give them the opportunity to shine. Then, you know, let's say another quarter of your team is going to be um, struggling a little bit. And, you know, everyone, it, it's funny because especially the teams that I've been a part of, I've always been lucky. Like I would say the folks that are struggling are still amazing. But when you compare them to the rest of the group, you're like, okay, well, you know, you're right now you're struggling. So for them, the conversation is, are you comfortable being what is seen as a B or C player on an all A team? And some folks are, and that's a little bit different than that first group I was talking about where they're comfortable and they want to be, they're still A players. Some folks are like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of fine with that. And for them, I think the career conversation has traditionally been, well, do you want to start trying to become an A-ish player or do you want to go find something where you have a little bit more passion? Because in the end, uh, like I said, you're, you're here, you know, most of your life, you're going to be working with us most of your life. And I can spend time with you and help you try and become better at your job. And I will absolutely do that if you want, if you want to do that here. But if you're just not feeling it, let's get you something that you can be passionate about because, you know, many of us in our career have 20 or 30 more years to work. Don't sit somewhere for 20 or 30 years where you're not really into it. And so the rest of the team kind of looks at you and says, eh, you know, that person's fine. So my advice to them would be, let's work with your boss, figure out something that you are passionate about. And maybe it's still in that company. Maybe it's even on that team. You just need a little bit of shifting in what your role definition is to help get you excited about it. And then the final one are the the new people like I was and when I first tried to become a manager at VMware and, and that where... Um, you know, and I ran into this a lot. Maybe we can talk about the the academy program that that I was a part of for a while. Come straight in, no no real background, uh, and you're super excited, and you're like, I want to have a career conversation because I want to get promoted next month. And I'm like, look at the people around you. When you get remotely near how good they are, we can talk about that. But the key for them is not shooting them down, right? Because if you truly just say, look, you're a month old, nothing's ever going to happen, then they'll just be kind of depressed and not want to work towards anything because they know, well, I better just sit here for two years before I ever have an opportunity. So for them, it's, I think the key thing is hooking them up with a mentor in that solid, you know, the solid group that's not trying to change their role. Because uh, you asked earlier, you know, as a boss, if someone wants to come in and take your job, are you going to be threatened? If you have the solid, I'm happy in my career people mentoring the people who are super excited, uh, they're not threatened because they're happy in their career. They're not trying to move up. They don't care if this person becomes above them at some point. So they're generally really willing to mentor and help and bring those people up and share knowledge and make them better. So I tend to point them at my, my solid, my solid players, um, the high flyers are always off doing something else, and so they're hard, not always, but frequently it's hard to get them to mentor. But those solid A-minus players, they're going to they're gonna mentor the heck out of those excited new people, and you're going to see a lot of benefit out of that. I want to dig into that situation where you mentioned you had a team member who wanted to be more technical, didn't want to go into management. If I'm in an organization where the only real path forward is probably management and they're forcing me to do that, what's your advice there? I would not do it personally. I mean, people management, I, I, I love it. So for me, it's it's a exciter. You know, it's one of those things that pumps me up. Um, if that's not something that you enjoy and that really is the only way up in that company, I would say either see can they create that level six position for you you know if you're a level five and maybe that's something that they can do if not i would go to an organization that wants a principal technologist or something like that where you're a truly technical high-end you can get the raises you can get the gravitas because you know i've seen those super technical leaders get forced into people leadership and what they tend to do is just keep being technical uh, which is great but the folks on their team don't get a whole lot. There aren't one-on-ones. There aren't career conversations. There's, you run into the issue of you go to a meeting with your boss and the boss does all the talking. You know, if you're if you're an engineer and you walk in and your boss takes over the whole meeting, like why are you even there? That's not what most people want. So I would say 
you know, for yourself, if you're one of those folks that's wanting to move up, you know, push internally. We, we saw um, at VMware, for example, they actually created a couple more levels of solution engineers so that you could continue up the path um, and get those promotions and get those titles uh, without actually ever having to go into management. So like at VMware, you can effectively become senior director level as an individual contributor, you know, so you, you have all that going for you with ever without ever actually having to take on a team. You'll instead take on a project or a product and move forward that way. Right. I think a lot of people that listen maybe don't realize that there is that individual career path out there that they can find. It just may not be at the organization where they are today. Right. Especially if you're super small, super small shop, small team, maybe you're one of four people, the growth just isn't going to be there or it's going to be too slow for your growth. Maybe it's time to keep moving on down the road. Time for a change. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it can be hard, especially if, if like you mentioned, in a smaller organization, um, if you've been there for 10, 15 years and you're like, gosh, I've worked here my whole life. Like what's going to happen if I move? Um, you know, the, the the frank thing is, if you move, you're probably going to get re-energized and you're going to do even more than if you just kept staying there. Um, now, that might be a millennial thing of me to say because of that, but I will say most of my jobs I've stayed at for eight plus years, uh, considering I've, I guess I've had four jobs total in my life. And uh, two of them were, one was nine years, one was eight years. So uh, this newest one. So, you know, I'm not great at the, hey, you should move on, but I've been lucky enough to work in organizations where I had the opportunity to move up. Uh, but if you're in a really small one, see if you can get re-energized somewhere else. That's a good point. Did you feel that same energy moving into a different role within the same organization? I did. Every every time I took a new job, both within Dell and then within VMware, um, there's something good and something bad about having no idea what you're doing for the first six months. You know, it's like, even if you're at the same company, you're still like, there's all new people. When I moved into the, the VMware cloud on AWS thing, like I knew everyone at VMware, I thought. And then suddenly I didn't know anyone. And I was working with another company and all the people at that company. And it's if, if your heart can handle it and the stress, you know, you're okay with the stress, that six months is like super stressful. And then when you get back into that groove, it's, it's kind of a new high, you know, and you're happy for a while because now you know what you're doing. You've expanded yourself. You've expanded what you know, and you don't, you're not in that rut. You know, you, if you ever get to the point in your career where you're like, well, I could probably take a nap for half the day and no one would notice I'm there. Probably time to change jobs or be, be one of those players that goes, Hey, this is, this is solid. I get to take a nap four hours a day and still make a good amount of money. I'm okay with that. But that's going to depend on your personality, right? Of course. Maybe maybe just a 20-minute nap here and there, right? <laughs> a little shot of coffee after you wake up or even right before you go to sleep. Exactly. One thing I want to know, Jeff, as a manager, you know, you're helping all these people, building them up, building their skills up, trying to build their careers up. Does it make it easier or harder to focus on your own career when you're doing that? I think it probably makes it easier because when you're looking at what it's 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 always easier to criticize someone else than criticize yourself right so if i take if i take one of the high flyers and i'm like having to nitpick to find something wrong that they're doing it causes me to be a bit introspective like whoa did i do that oh wow you know and so you start seeing things um that you're doing that you probably shouldn't be doing because you're trying to nitpick and find something to help them get better or if you're watching the high flyers, you're seeing things that you've never even thought of doing that they're doing. And you're like, whoa, if I, if I pick up this strategy, if I pick up this way of, you know, I, I learned from one of the folks on my team, a new time management method, like that was huge for me. And I would have never done that if I wasn't like, well, how can we improve your time management? And then she went off and figured out a better, <laughs> better methodology for time management. And I was like, oh, I'm going to steal that. So I would say that that can be helpful for yourself uh, or for helping, you know, as, as a leader, you grow yourself. Uh, but I'd also say, you know, when when you're looking and trying to work with other people, you should also go outside of your organization. So, um, you know, I've had team members that wanted to be in a different business unit like that was their goal. How do I get from where I am today to where I am, where, where they are now? Um, well, I can't do that by myself. I have to have those contacts within that business unit to help connect them and do that. 
So it forces me to also build more connections within the organization so that I can help them build their connections. And, you know, in, in any organization, the more people you know, kind of the better things are, right? Because you, you can simplify your life. And so that has helped me over the years, um, just being forced to do things because someone will say, hey, I want to be part of this new, you know, Kubernetes business unit. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Uh, but let me go start talking to people and find out who that is and what's going on there. I think and you spell suddenly, it K8S. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly it. Um, but that forced me, you know, that was actually a conversation. It was Docker, actually. But um, that was like four years ago, and no one was talking containers or anything like that. And one of the members of my team wanted to be on that team. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. And it was a small incubation portion of VMware at the time. And that helped me build relationships that, in the end, I think helped me get my job on the AWS team because some of those people had moved over. So it's an interesting way where helping others can end up helping helping you. Yeah, you never know when making that connection might be the connection that drives you forward, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's great. You also mentioned the Academy team. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit more about what that is, its purpose? Sure. I don't think a lot of people understand that those programs exist at technology companies. Yeah, so in a lot of technology companies um, nowadays, they are trying to, I guess you could say, build their own. Um, so rather than just hiring folks that are five or ten years into their career or more, um, into into the organization, um, they're going actually after you know college seniors uh, or even college juniors for an internship type program, and so the academy at VMware um, and Cisco has an academy, Oracle has an academy, Dell even now is doing one. Um, they basically go pick very lucky. And I say lucky because I'm jealous. You know, I joined Dell almost right out of college and made $14 an hour. And I won't even say what they make out of college nowadays. But they pick these lucky, very intelligent, uh, recent college graduates to bring in. And depending on the program, spend anywhere from 6 to 18 months training them on technology, the solutions, how to sell, how to be technical, how to demo, right? All of the different things that you might do uh, in a sales technology, um, even professional services type of role. And at VMware, I was responsible for the Solution Engineering Academy. So it was the um, pre-sales technical folks that we would bring on. And that was very fun because these folks, um, they got picked straight out of college and they know that they're special, you know, like legitimately because we're not the only ones trying to recruit them and everyone, Microsoft, Amazon, et cetera, is coming to them and they're at these career fairs and we're all like, we're going to do this for you and we're going to help you grow. And so when they come on, they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of cool. And I know I'm not allowed to curse. So I said, I'm kind of cool as opposed to what they actually say when they come on. Of course. <laughs> With the Academy ones, it's it's fun because they know that they're special. They know that they're coming in to learn a lot. They know that they have an opportunity. In fact, my favorite ones are the ones that know they kind of have an opportunity of a lifetime because they're skipping probably five to ten years of career building and just going straight to, you know, level step five, whereas everyone else kind of had to work up to that. And then they tell you they want to take your job in the first month. Right? They, they tell you they want to take your job. They're wondering why they haven't gotten a promotion yet. And, you know, they still can't tie their shoes. But you, you love the passion. And it's not just the passion, but it's also the, it, it, it builds the rest of the team up. Because everyone that's been on the team for five or ten years is now looking. And it starts off jealous, right? Everyone's just super jealous. Like, oh, my God, these these people are coming in and they're they're getting to do my job and I don't even understand and you don't know what I had to do. I had to work night shift in data centers in the basement for years before I got this. The Academy members come in and they're so excited and they're so happy to be there that the it's just kind of infectious. And then suddenly everyone's like, well, I want to help the Academy people. I want to be a part of this. And they're picking things up and they're teaching us new ways of doing things. Some of the best interviews I've had have been with Academy prospective employees you know, so you have someone who's been in the industry for 15 years and you have someone that doesn't even know what VMware is. You could interview one after the other. And many of the times, the one that didn't even know what VMware was an hour before the interview is better because they have that passion and that excitement and they bring it to you. Now, we know in the real world, it takes a little while before they become useful, but they they just have 
that excitement. And so as, as a boss, if you can try and take some of that excitement and spread that around the team and get everyone else jazzed up, you see the, the A players do even more. You see the A minus players do even more because they're like, whoa. Um, and then the B players are like, well, you know, this is kind of a, a choice time I have to make now because this academy person is going to come in and they're brand new and they're excited and they're working towards it. And, you know, Jeff told me that I need to decide, is this the job I want to do or do I want to move into a different role? And this person's already beating me and they've been here for three months. A lot of the time that gets them ramped up and they start going, okay, I don't want to be beat by a 21-year-old. Like, I'm going <laughs> to do something here. So it's the academy program is a lot of fun just from the energy perspective. Um, from a business perspective, one of the good things about the academy programs is diversity and inclusion in technology and technology sales is abysmal. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it frankly doesn't exist. You look at the, the different uh, D&I surveys that come out of different companies and you have ranging from a, a female perspective in technology or technology sales, it's in the low teens many of the times from uh, different races, it's the worst in most cases. But the good thing with the academy program is, you know, you're hiring based on schooling and passion and excitement. You're not hiring based on, well, here's the existing pool of candidates that I have, which overwhelmingly are not diverse, right? And right. so you have an opportunity immediately to just make a choice like, hey, why don't we hire 85% female or 85% not white or whatever? And you get that opportunity to bring people in and they grow just the way anyone else would, except there traditionally hasn't been an opportunity or chance for them to get into that type of business. And, you know, I think that's probably part of why these technology companies are doing academy programs right now, uh, because it gives you the opportunity to build your own and train your own while also increasing the diversity. And, you know, it's, we had, we had one class, um, where there were seven women and one guy on the team, which is like the exact opposite of any solution engineering team you ever have. It's normally seven guys and one woman. And the the dynamic of that team was completely different. And it was interesting, you know, to, to see, because I was leading, you know, a team that had 13 guys and two women on my kind of normal team. And then I had my academy team that was eight women and one guy. And it was funny just seeing the dynamics of the two. And now that team that was seven women and one guy, all of those women have been promoted and they're kicking butt uh, within the organization because they got the opportunity to come in and they got the opportunity to learn. And now, you know, they're, they're just rolling with it. Um, so it's been really neat. That's fantastic. Now, what is it that they're most excited about in the interview process? Why do why do those folks that come through the academy program, why do they want to be at a tech company? What, what drives them in the interview? Like, here's what I want to get out of this experience, Mr. Potential Boss Man. Mr. Potential Boss Man. Uh, so it's funny. A lot of them are industrial engineering, or at least a lot of the folks that I've hired have been industrial engineering, which I honestly, I didn't even know what that was until I started interviewing them. But apparently it has a lot to do with process improvement. And... When looking at a pre-sales organization, what we do as solution engineers is help our customers improve their processes. And I mean, that's really what we're trying to do. And so, so many, you know, many of the, the people that I've hired are IE majors. And when they come in, they're like, hey, we know that technology is not easy for companies. We know that there's a lot of change in the world right now. We spent the past four years studying how to deal with change, improve it, and make things go smoothly. I think being a solution engineer is a perfect role. And I'm like, I would have never thought of that, but that actually makes sense. Um, you know, when we first started trying to interview, um, a lot of the people that we interviewed were computer science majors because we were like, ah, computer science, to, you know, engineering, technology, this makes sense. Um, but we ended up having a abysmal hiring rate there because people go into computer science because they like coding. And so for the types of roles that I hired for, you don't do code. I mean, there are a few select people that will do some coding, but for the most part, no one does. And so we were trying to hire these people because they had computer backgrounds and knew how to write their own operating systems and all this stuff. And it turned out that what we needed was not any of that. We wanted people and needed people who could present and talk and had interest in making customers' lives better. 
Um, so it was a very different path in the end than where we started. Um, and it was because they had passion for helping customers and it just happens to be in the role that I'm in. That is something that I look for when I'm hiring. it here folks a good manager sends presence to their employees so if you think that your manager doesn't know that might be on the fence needs a hint send them this episode and tell them that it's been stated so that they know what the expectation is it's not really a sense of entitlement because the precedent has been set did you think you are a high flyer a solid a minus player a bc player Or perhaps you are part of the new blood that's breathing energy into a team like Jeff described the folks from the Academy program, that fresh new perspective that comes with someone coming in from the outside who hasn't been a part of the team before. They bring a unique perspective that definitely needs to be appreciated, and hopefully we can help those people on board and and be successful. I really liked what Jeff said about learning from his team members. His desire was to teach them certain things, but also learn from them. Hopefully, your manager is looking to learn something from you, just like you're hoping to learn something from them. And then, if you are not really excited about what you do anymore, maybe it is time for some sort of change. It could be different roles and responsibilities on that same team, a move within the company, or maybe even to a different company. But if you'll notice... Jeff mentioned that every time he made a change, it actually brought a lot of energy. And he was extremely willing to help a member of his team go in whatever direction they really wanted. He was very focused on the person. Hopefully, if you're a manager and you're listening to this, you will heed that advice and show the person you care. And I think the Academy program is very interesting. I've worked with people from that team, and they are great folks just like Jeff said, very full of energy. They have good ideas, and I just love talking to them and hanging out with them. So I hope you enjoyed. Of course, we're going to have a part two next week. This is Nerd Journey. Everything comes in two or more parts, it seems. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore for my buddy John White at V Journeyman. Signing off. <laughs>